Welcome to Latte with a Lawyer, a podcast dedicated to bringing you the stories of some of America's most successful lawyers, figuring out what makes them tick, how they creatively solve problems, and how others aspiring to be them can follow in their footsteps. Okay, uh, good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Latte with a Lawyer. I'm your host, uh, Jonathan Brickman, and this morning we have this Michael Mendelson from the uh, firm outside GC. Good morning, Michael. Good Thanks morning, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. You bet. Uh, to kick off the show, uh, Latte with a Lawyer, what's your morning beverage of choice to get started? Get cranked sure. up. Uh, I, I, will, I will try not to take the entire time to describe it, but uh, I, I like uh, a good cup of coffee in the morning. I grind the beans and uh, I mix in some spices and it's just sort of a part of a, a morning ritual. So I uh, do, that, do that every morning, get some nice Italian espresso beans to go in there and uh, make a good pot that hopefully will last me the day, depending on how much work needs to get done. So good deal. That sounds good. All right. It's always a fun way to get started here. I like asking that question. The variety is, uh, is interesting. I mentioned I, I, I just spent a, 10 days in uh, Japan. It's less of a coffee culture there, right? Yes. People drink, drink tea. Although, you, believe it or not, there's star, Starbucks all over Tokyo. So, Well, have you ever had any of the uh, the cold brew um, canned Japanese coffee that they sell in some of the vending machines and things? As a matter of fact, on the trip over there, yeah. I watched uh, Lost in Translation. I don't know if you ever saw that movie. I have seen it. It's a great film. Which is a great film. So I I I I got one of the uh, the boss copies out of the Suntory vending <laughs> machine. It's amazing. So they have cold and hot selections in the yes they do right. Yep, yep. When I lived in North Virginia, there was a Japanese grocery store I used to go to all the time, um, and I would try and find some fun things. So yeah, I've had the boss coffee and um, some of the other Japanese drinks too. So mm. amazing. Anyway, it was pretty good. Like walking on the street with a with a coffee out of a vending machine was a first so that was fun <laughs> anyway okay but listen to, just to pivot here to business tell us about uh, what you guys do I, I know you're um, a little bit different than the typical guest we have here with, with a law firm so tell us about your practice sure absolutely um outside uh, GC is a, uh, a nationwide virtual firm um, and, uh, you know, we're nominally based in, in Boston, but, uh, you know, we have concentrations of, of attorneys in uh, New England in the New York tri-state area, the greater DC area where I am, um, and out in Northern and Southern California. And we've got a few other lawyers in, in different parts of the country. It's, it's a really, really great, uh, firm. The model is one that I think is, is incredibly valuable to businesses, um, uh, in the sense that, uh, you know, number one, that it's not a typical partner associate kind of thing. Everyone's a partner or a senior counsel. Okay. Uh, number two, uh, I would say a minimum average experience of an attorney at the firm is 15 years. It's closer to 20 or over 25. Um, I'm about 25 to 27 years out of law school. Uh, I stopped counting a while ago. Yeah. And and we all also have been inside companies. So that's that's the the you know part of the tagline that outside GC we've all been general counsels or senior in-house counsel so we understand the dynamics of business and that the uh, provision of legal advice you know outside of litigation or or other or some other uh, particular areas is uh, one of risk management not risk avoidance or risk minimization and we have that 
business perspective that, you know, with respect to, to you know, uh, my, my colleagues in, in the other law firms, and, and many of them have been in-house for part of their careers, uh, I think makes us a little unique in that regard, and we're able to provide that strategic value. So one of the things we do, as the name implies, is we serve as sort of outside general counsels to businesses that uh, either do not need or or it's just not in their budget yet to have a full-time attorney and we become you know the uh, the the consigliere the business strategic legal and business advisor as well as the you know the drafter of contracts and corporate governance documents and and uh, merger and acquisitions on 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 certain scales and then also for some of our larger multinational clients uh, we either provide specialized help or, or just some some just additional legal support at, at a senior level because that's something that we we can do and um you know I, I think it's it's a fantastic model it's a great group of people um you know i've i've in terms of work culture and environment i've never been happier in my career oh great um and so is it regionalized so you're in the dc area is do you have right. more of your business around the government contractors or government that is part of my practice, but uh, it, it it really spans spans the gamut. So, um, in DC isn't just a, a government contract space anymore, and hasn't been for for a long time. Uh, there's there's a tremendous amount of commercial and international business. So, um, you know, I was general counsel for a um, a defense contractor in in suburban Maryland for for quite a while before I went back yeah. into private practice. Um, so I've got that government contracts, export and trade compliance experience, but I also do uh, general corporate work, uh, some M&A deals, corporate governance and investment, especially for smaller companies that are, are graduating out of the garage, going from that seed friends and family to their first Series A uh, round of, of, um, uh, of, of financing. And, uh, you know, the general advice as well. So, I mean, I spent a, a significant part of my career in uh, high-tech aerospace and defense. And okay. now I've got clients that make furniture, sell uh, an oatmeal product in Whole Foods, um, do uh, a, a variety of things from, you know, hospitality groups, as well as high-tech um, high tech clients. You know, we've got a, a deep bench in, in the high tech, especially internet commerce and uh, and data privacy that some of my colleagues specialize in. So we do have some specialized practices and a very, very good employment uh, practice as well. Okay, good. How, how many uh, in the firm? Uh, I want to say a little over 100 lawyers nationwide. Oh, wow. Okay. You're... We also have a smaller sister firm, Patent GC, which, you know, as the name implies, is more specialized patent and trademark and, and licensing and, and those types of things as well. Okay, interesting. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, so I see. I, I was looking at your background. So we also we share an engineering degree. I started as an engineer, as well. Um, How so long did you last? <laughs> uh, not long. Uh, yeah, me neither. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I lasted a, a total of four years. Then I went back and longer than me to business school and and got got out of that. I mean, it's it's a shame that people uh, can't keep uh, engineer. Maybe it's changed, but you know. Uh, it was hard to keep engineers in that profession because it just wasn't as lucrative as business or law or other things. But I've, I've always had that. sort of a multidisciplinary um, interests. Um, so I, I did my master's in, in uh, international affairs at the Fletcher School, and and uh, you know over time have been able to combine the technology background and and the the international security and diplomacy background into the practice of law. Uh, in, in many ways, I think, you know, I, I don't know the extent to which you give advice for people who want to be lawyers. I think it's helpful to have a broader background, a couple of years of work experience. And, and in today's environment, 
um, not necessarily an engineering degree, but uh, understanding technology, knowing how to code, uh, having that uh, background makes you more valuable to your clients. You're able to pick up what they're trying to do faster and help them meet their objectives. And, and it's almost like learning another language. The technical literacy in today's practice of law, I think, is 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 very, very important. Yeah, yeah, no, interesting. Um, so how did you make that switch, though, to go from engineering to law? How, how did you sure, make that Sure, sure. Um, uh, initially, I thought I was going to to help uh, help America fight the Cold War. And when when the Cold War ended, um, you know, there were fewer opportunities for that kind of thing. And uh, but in, in graduate school, I had uh, some professors as well as classmates who were uh, attorneys you know, teaching public international law, law of the sea, things, uh, legal regulation of armed conflict, things of that nature. Yeah. And and I was just so impressed by by the rigor of their thinking and their analysis and their worldview, their worldliness. And I thought this is something that I can use to tie my diverse interests together into a profession that allows me to dip back into the engineering, allows me to work on the, the international side. And I have had an international career for, for most, most of my career. Um, you know, been to over 40 countries to, to date, uh, most of which was for work. Uh, I'm either happy or sorry to say, depending on your perspective. Um, but uh, and, and, and you know, it, it doesn't work out right that way from the very beginning, of course. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you, uh, you, you pay your dues, you work, you learn the trade. For example, and, and then, you know, as you grow and expand and those opportunities present themselves, the background becomes valuable. And I think it's been attractive, particularly in my in-house careers and, and, and especially now. It gives me that broader worldview and perspective. Um, so. Okay, interesting. Yeah. No, it, I've asked that question a bunch here with, a, with guests about sort of, you know, the trajectory of becoming a lawyer. Like, do you go, many go right from undergrad to law school, which to me doesn't seem right, right? It seems like you should have a little bit of experience in between so you have a better perspective. So totally. it sounds like you're suggesting the same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe there's a need for a change instead of uh, three years of textbooks, maybe two in a residency or. I couldn't agree more. Uh, I've had this discussion with with many of my colleagues and even former professors. Um, the the third year of law school, while interesting, um, is not as productive as you know two years of classroom and a year of an article clerkship or or or, or an apprenticeship something of that nature yeah. I, I don't know how many years uh, exactly how the canadian system works but i do believe that before you can uh, become a member of the bar you have to do a year of an article clerkship something along those lines and uh, I, I think that would be beneficial there's a big difference between the the academic nature of law and the practice of law and especially if you're working representing businesses, and this is something that takes time to learn regardless, clients don't want to see a, a, a law school exam type memo. On the one hand, this, on the other hand, that they want to know what's the problem they're facing, what are the risks and options. I mean, while you cannot guarantee a likely outcome, they want to know what some of their best choices are going to be to help them make an informed decision. And that's, that's I think, an, another good thing about our firm is that we have that perspective where our job is not to make the decisions. It's up to the client to decide what their risk tolerance is and where they want to go, you know, within within the, the, the parameters of the law. Uh, we're there to help them make that informed decision, show them where the traps are, like, like the Sherpa on the mountain, um, to, you know, avoid the pitfalls. And But whatever route they want to take to the summit is ultimately up to the explorer, or in this case, the entrepreneur or the CEO. Got it. So um, 
Yeah, yeah, no. It's, so you're you're really a quarterback, right? So I mean, uh, if there's litigation, I assume you bring in someone to help with that. You guys don't do it internally. Litigation is one of the few things we do not do. So yeah. that's something we would outsource. So okay. we're we're really business advice focused. Business so, advice. Okay. I mean, yeah. we we would handle. I mean, I I've handled you know uh, contract disputes, things of that nature, um, and settlement agreements, and trying to to bring it to a satisfactory resolution. But if it looks like it's going to get to the steps of the courthouse or uh, an arbitrator gets involved, then that's something we would want to um, you know get uh, co counsel involved in. Got it. Got sure. it. Got it. Is there a sweet spot for uh, the business or your practice, the type of company you work with? Um, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I would say that, uh, you know, small, uh, to medium enterprises are, are kind of a sweet spot in, in the regards. I mean, number one, our, our rates are, are far below that of, of what you would see on, on wall street or, or even on K street. Um, but you, you know, you still get that you're, you're getting that value and experience, but you know, we don't have the, the, the large office buildings, but, uh, that's, that's as maybe. But at the same time, you know, I also work with a lot of multi-billion-dollar multinationals too. So, so it's 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 kind of hard to say. I mean, I I think those uh, companies, you know, the smaller ones are looking for value and strategic advice that they can afford and how to prioritize. And the larger companies are looking for that experience. Okay, very good. Is there any one particular uh, situation that stands out that you worked on that would be interesting to share? Um, uh, in, in, in general throughout my career. Yeah, just, yeah, just sure. Um, I, I've, I've been fortunate to participate in, in a number of really cool things. Um, when I was a, uh, an associate early on, um, I was participated and helped, uh, work on the proposed privatization of the Mir space station. So the Soviet union and then Russia, you know, owned the, the space station and, and they were figuring out what to do with it. Mm. Um, and there was a group of investors in the United States that wanted to purchase it and turn that into a com the first commercial space station. Uh, it was really exciting. The way I got the job, too, was um, uh, my office was next door to the managing partner, who was a very loud talker. So I could hear ev almost everything he said through through the walls. And I heard him talking about this project. And I just uh, I happened to knock on the door and I said, hey, uh, Barry, um, I can't help but overhearing because you know I can't help but overhear. Um, just wanted to let you know I did my master's thesis on the Soviet space program, and I'd love to be part of this, uh, which which is true that that was what I did. So um, he said, absolutely, I want to get you involved. And so there was a combination of of uh, private equity transaction and financing, business planning, um, export licensing that required us to go to uh, to the White House to uh, and and the State Department to try and lobby for this because at the time. The majority of space technology was controlled under the ITAR, uh, which is, you know, the uh, as for for your listeners who don't know, that's that's the export control regime governing military technology, and it was just incredible. And even though ultimately uh, the, the business did not go through because the Russians decided it was better to deorbit the station, it wasn't safe enough to continue. That really was a catalyst to the birth of the commercial space industry. Hmm. So, uh, which, I mean, from there, it led to the start of uh, one of the uh, investors started a company, Space Adventures, which set, sent Dennis Tito to the International Space Station as the first you know, commercial astronaut or the first space tourist, uh, which led to others uh, you know, like Elon Musk and Richard Branson and folks getting involved in that business 
And uh, so it was it was really fun, you know, even though the project in and of itself was not a business success, it was a catalyst to the start of an industry. And it was great to play a small part in that. Oh, interesting. Who, who was in the administration at the time? That would have been, uh, let's see, it was 2000. That would have been Bush. Oh, uh, Bush. That would have been W. Uh -huh. oh, so do, do you have a chance to sit with, I mean, who, so who, who did you actually interface with in the cabinet? Oh, at the White House, it was the Office of Science and Technology Policy. Oh, okay. So yeah. we weren't sitting in, in the Oval Office, but we were with Bush's science advisors, basically. Oh, nice. That was, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm sure that was It was still pretty cool. I mean, I can't complain. So. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, very, very nice, excellent, excellent. Um, I saw, I saw. It looked like Bloomberg was one of your influencers, Michael Bloomberg. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Why? Why? Why Michael Bloomberg? I'm very impressed uh, by Bloomberg, his sensibilities, um, and he's somebody who seems to be less interested in in party line politics than he is in finding solutions and getting things done. And I think as mayor of New York City, um, he did a remarkable job and uh, creating the business that he created. And I think he has a lot of common sense approaches and, and is very no nonsense. And, and I find that even today, the work that he does in business and philanthropy is, is just very, very interesting and inspiring. Yeah. And also, uh, uh, he grew up in Medford. You know, I don't know. He's, he's a Medford boy. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I mean, I, I read his bio years ago, Bloomberg on Bloomberg. Uh, I don't know if you saw that, but it's, no, it's, no, it's, no. it tells his story. It's, it's quite a story. Uh, his, I will look know, for that. Totally self made made guy, but. Uh, oh, yeah, for sure. And, he and started the, story, with the, uh, the, the, the uh, automatic stock tickers, basically. So it was a computer technology firm before it was a media enterprise. Oh, yeah. Well, you'll you'll have to you'll have to read the book. You'll you'll enjoy it then. I definitely will. Thank you for the tip. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, anyway, um, yeah. So, okay, Michael. Anyone else that sort of stands out as an influencer that has helped guide you? It's it's hard to say. I mean, I, I, I you know, the the term influencer is is so uh, twenty first century. But I I will say that there have been people in my life who have been a real influence. Uh, informal mentors uh, or, or formal mentors who have sort of helped helped guide me uh, and and shape my worldview. Yeah, um, definitely. Uh, first and foremost, uh, you know, my parents and you know, my dad. Sorry, mom, I'm I'm not uh, I'm not discounting your influence, but my my dad was is a um, he's a salesman, and he basic and 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 I think I've inherited that. Uh, he, you know, I, I say that I'm a third generation salesman as much as I am a lawyer. My grandfather was too. Okay. You got to learn how to close the deal, and once you've closed the deal, don't oversell it. Um, so I, I like bringing in in new clients and new business as much as I like helping them to achieve their goals. Um, and even when you're negotiating an agreement, you're you're selling, you're selling ideas. So so I, I think that is an important part of the practice of business law, which also. Um, young lawyers could benefit from some training, understanding sales. And I work with salespeople on a daily basis, um, you know, all the ups and downs and the pressures that they're dealing with and and uh, and trying to get, get their buy-in. I'm selling myself to my own clients as much as I am selling my clients' perspective to the people on the opposite side of the virtual table. Yeah. So um, professors that I've had, um, in in law school and in graduate school and even classmates um uh i 
my, my graduate school, the Fletcher School, I was pretty young when I, when I started, and there were a number of mid-career professionals uh, who were there, mostly uh, very decorated and accomplished military officers and aviators. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they were about 10 years older than me on average, but they treated me as, as a classmate. You know, it was, you know, you're, you're here, you made it in. And uh, I was just so impressed with the, their, their thinking, their accomplishments, their drive, the way they organized themselves. Um, one of them, um, Patrick Walsh, uh, went on to be uh, vice chief of naval operations before he retired from the Navy. And is just one of, one of the brightest, uh, most remarkable and, and humble people I have ever met. And, and he's been a, a, a tremendous inspiration as well. So uh, I, I could probably talk for hours about some of the folks that, that I, I met, but uh, I, I know our time is, is kind of limited. No, so. no, no, that's okay. I mean, listen, listen, I think the theme here is that it's important to have mentors, right? I think, mm -hmm. it's, and then it's important to be a mentor. Yeah, I like what you said, bright and humble. Those are good qualities to have. Yeah. And, and I would also mention, um, uh, Ed Leahy, who was a he was an adjunct professor, uh, but was made the greatest impression on me, and uh, we've we've been friends ever, ever since. Um, and uh, he's he's my son's godfather, and uh, he's just a great guy, self-made man, very humble, no nonsense, great business approach to the practice of law, as well as as a remarkable. Uh, remarkable intellect. Uh, my my son was doing a presentation on you know hidden figures of American history, and his his topic was Roger Sherman, um, who I learned uh, first thing I learned was no relation to old time comedian Alan Sherman, but was was a revolutionary uh, era senator. And I'm I'm telling Ed about this. Oh, Roger Sherman, yes, the senator from Connecticut and the first mayor of New Hampshire. Why am I not surprised he knows all of this? And just a tremendous and. But no, no, again, no ego, no attitude about right. it. It's just something that he loves and enjoys and is willing to share. Um, um, so Ed, Dean Hashimoto, uh, who uh, the Dean is his first name, um, Yale Law School, uh, what was it, Harvard Medical, Yale Law, something like that, was a professor of, uh, and I took his toxic torts class, and uh, one of the, we were talking about a case, one of the students raised uh, an, an objection to a particular Supreme Court case and the way the argument was done. And he said very humbly, and, and not in a way to intimidate, he says, you know, that's a really interesting opinion. I actually wrote that opinion for the Supreme Court. And, you know, <laughs> but for the students, first this thought is, oh, God, what did I get myself into? <laughs> But he was so nice about it and explained what his reasoning was behind why he drafted it and then addressed point by point in a very constructive way, rather than I'm going to browbeat you because I know more than you. Yeah, and, and those types of people, I think, have, have had a tremendous influence on me. Isn't it so true? I mean, it's really the teacher. It's not the material. It's the way it's presented and taught and the environment that you create. You know, and I I went to Boston College Law School, and, and and compared to some others, it had at the time a more humane approach to the practice of law. I mm. mean, we still had some Socratic professors, and 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 frankly, it was very helpful. But there was no um, intention or purpose of humiliating or browbeating a student into submission, and in you know, especially in in their first year of law school, which I think made it more tolerable. It's it's tough enough and high pressure enough as it is. Oh yeah, absolutely. So you, you mentioned you have kids. And any anyone considering being a lawyer as well? Well, let's see. I I, I have one son, um, and uh, I would say he's probably halfway there already. But okay. uh, I'm I'm we'll we'll see. Uh, I, I I don't know that I would encourage him to go into the practice of law at this point. The field is is undergoing a tremendous amount of flux. Um, 
and I, my advice to anybody would be if 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 you want to be a lawyer know why you want to be a lawyer and know what you want to get out of it um you know if you want to be a litigator or something then that that makes perfect sense but if if there's something you want to do with it such that your law degree will help you whether you're working in the standard practice of law or using it in, in a different way just know what you want to get out of it because it is a big time and and financial commitment uh it shouldn't be the you know the, the joke always was when when i was in school i don't know what i'm going to do so i may as well go to law school right bad reason to do anything doubly bad reason to go into the practice of law yeah so so aside from the financial um uh, burden that you have when you, you said things are in, in flux. What do you, what do you mean by that? I, I think the traditional partner associate model is, is, is undergoing a lot of change. Okay. I think technology is gradually like it or not changing the practice of law. I mean, not necessarily just chatbots and, and artificial intelligence, but in terms of things like document review and due diligence and other things, this is not to say that, that, uh, humankind won't, won't, uh, have, have an opportunity, but I think it is is and 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 others brighter and 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 more experienced than I in, in this area have have done tremendous research on this. Uh, Richard Susskind in England, for example, um, that you know it's 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 going to be more akin to um, uh, you know sort of playing chess with artificial intelligence or something. So so you you mm -hmm. can play uh, one one chess on one level. And I hope I'm getting my my analogy correctly. But, um, you know, the, the artificial intelligence assisted or the technology assistance takes the game to a new level and humans will still need to make those decisions as to where to put the pieces on the board. Yeah. But they're going to have access to more tools and things that will make it more efficient, um, number one, and number two, open up a, a different decision making process. So I, I think that there's a lot of change. And, and again, I, I go back to what I said earlier, learn to code, understand technology. Uh, the practice of law is going in that direction. Um, you know, and, and even if you're you're doing, you know, your, your standard, um, open up your shingle, help people with uh, trust and estates and wills and things. Even that is moving into the digital realm. People are talking about digital assets and how they are stored and how they can be um, uh, bequeathed to to an estate and how does one gain access to that. So, so there is a tremendous amount of of new technology that's coming in. That's changing the substance of law, but also changing the way in which we practice and look at how we do our jobs. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think there's any escaping uh, AI in any industry, but I, I view it as more as, um, you know, it's a uh, decision support. It's it's not going to replace humans, it just means you're going to, it's like offshoring, you're, you're going to be uh, left with a higher order, more critical thinking instead of the mundane document review and things like that, right? Mm -hmm. Like said, chess, playing chess, move, moving the chess piece around, I, I would agree. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not sure that I'm not, yeah, it's funny. A lot of people worry that AI is going to replace humans. I don't think it does. It just changes the activity, right? Mm -hmm. It's a different version of, of the industrial revolution in some ways. Yeah, it's, that's right. It's a digital revolution. So, um, uh, you know, does it replace certain tasks? Yes, it does. Does it create and open up uh, new areas of opportunity? Yes, it does. I mean, the, the, the broader question really is how do we prepare ourselves to take advantage of that instead of right. uh, resisting it? How do we regulate it and keep it, you know, within the bounds of what's reasonable uh, as people? That's more of a more philosophical discussion than it is one of the practice of yeah. law, but it's a fascinating area. Yeah, well, there you go. as a fellow engineer, Newton's third law of physics, right? For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Mm -hmm.
So <laughs> th- there'll there'll be there'll be some reaction to that, and uh, the the laws of physics always uh, guide us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so uh, just uh, final words you want to leave with the audience about your firm and the best way to connect. Sure, um, you know, um, uh, through our through our website is 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 a uh, a good place to to get a better idea of okay. the experience and capabilities that we have outside gc.com. Um, but uh, you know, you can always always reach out to us. Uh, I, I think uh, you know we're we're always happy to to help um, to help clients um, achieve their business objectives. Uh, you know, following a a business approach. So that's um, probably the best way. And, you know, I'm, I'm always happy to talk to new, to new clients and put them in touch with the, the right folks. You know, if, if I'm not the right guy to handle the work, I know that we have plenty of people who can. Okay, so. excellent. Good deal. Well, listen, it's been a pleasure learning My pleasure about your, Thank you, John. your business. Uh, for everybody, again, Michael Mendelson, Outside GC. And this is a sponsored by Emotion Track, which is a legal tech platform. And we help uh, litigators primarily um, prepare for uh, mediation and trial with our insights platform. So thanks again, Michael. It was a pleasure. Likewise. Thank you so much. You had a lot of fun. You bet.